0: Thank you, Dorothy. Um, one of the things I love about Kingsway is there are a lot of people here with tender hearts for God and one another. And I know, most many of us know the tough times that Dorothy and Mark have been through. And so it meant a lot to hear her sing and worship because I know that's her heart. And so, um, anyway, it's beautiful. And speaking of which, Cindy was just telling me, she said, you know, sometimes it is just a real privilege and honor to be able to sit at the piano and to hear you guys worship. She said it really meant a lot to me to hear hear the people singing to God. So thank you for that. Because, I mean, if anything, we want to meet him. That's why we're here. I mean, we want to see each other. But we also hope to meet him fresh. This is a new year. Hope you guys uh, kicked it off well yesterday. And uh looked like George ate pretty good. Their family did pretty good there. Uh, and so that, that's a great thing. We, we had last week, we started, I uh, want to do three sermons on just this year. What, what does a church that's in tune with God? that has a passion and that pleases God. What's that look like? And so that's, that's what we're looking at uh, this week and next week and started last week. And um, so turn me to Philippians chapter 3 because that's been the focus of these messages. Uh, last week we actually looked at verses 1 through 6 and this week I want to read 7 through... Uh, 7-12, through so I'm going to ask if you will stand in our God's great honor as I read. But whatever was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. To attain to the resurrection from the dead, let's pray. God, we thank you for this new year, and uh, we dedicate ourselves and you to you. Uh, we climb up on that altar that we are so prone to crawl off of, and we say, "Lord, we're yours. Do a work for your glory." And and so, Father, we just confess that. Father, I pray you continue to draw us to you this morning. I have sensed that myself in being able to worship you. And I want that to continue. And I don't want that to be blocked in any way. So Holy Spirit, continue. And just, Father, remind us of you. Speak, O oh Lord, and we'll listen. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'll try to give a short recap from last week. Of course, that's always dangerous with a preacher because short is a word we usually don't know. Recap could turn into multiple sermons. You know, that is a possibility. Last week, as we looked at verses 1 through 6, we looked at a guy named Saul. Of course, we often talk of him as Paul. But before meeting Christ, he was known as Saul which means asked of God. And he, he, was, he loved God. He was zealous for God. He heard the voice of God speak. And, and he said, God is asking me to be big, to be somebody for him. And so he set out with all of his strength to be as good as he possibly could be, which meant better than anybody else. Matter of fact, if you look at verse 6, Of chapter 3 in Philippians. He says as for zeal. Persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness. Faultless. He was the king. Of law keeping. He was the. guy. But. He would later learn. That his good. Was not good enough. Nor could his good ever be good enough. And so uh, he took a new name. He went from mast of God being big to Paul, which means little. Now, through the course of this, in understanding that we can't be good enough, that requires becoming honest. Uh, we talked about it uh, using the analogy of taking the mask off actors and actresses in that day uh, in order to play a character they would have a mask that they would hold hide their face and to be someone else it, it's so in the very real sense we are called uh, to see ourselves clearly to see that we're broken uh, to see that we're sinners to see that we are in need of a goodness that far exceeds our goodness, our righteousness, that there is a desperate need for that to occur. That's how we're able to take the mask off. You know, why do we want to wear a mask before God anyway? Like He can't see us. Tells us in Jeremiah 23, 24, in the New Century Version, God says, no one can hide where I cannot see Him. Says the Lord, I fill all of heaven and earth says the lord so here's the question in th- that first part's tough man when you see yourself clearly i don't deserve god's forgiveness i'm glad that's not the end of the story <laughs> i'm glad that we get to see this next part, as a matter of fact, I had quoted last week near the end of the sermon, 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, We who with unveiled faces, the picture here is the mask came off. And it says, We who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, able to take the mask off, talk directly to God, honestly to God, and when that occurs, He begins this journey in us where we are becoming more like Christ and that moves on to taking the mask off around each other where we can find a few people that we can be honest with like it says in James 5.16 to confess your sins for each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed God does that work mask comes off in my relationship talking to him mask come off in my relationship and talking with one another and when that begins when we see ourselves clearly and we begin to open up God begins to really move among his people. And people out there in the community begin to see there's something going on in there. Those people actually act like they want to be together and do stuff together and care about one another and make a difference in each other's lives. What they have, it's something real. That begins by seeing ourselves clearly. But if it just ends with seeing that I'm a broken sinner... That's not the place to end. And so that comes to today's message, which is simply this. We need to understand that God sees us. You you see, we see ourselves clearly, but praise be to God, He sees us clearly too. He really sees us. takes me back to Hagar in Genesis chapter 16. Family dispute. She was broken. She ran away. She didn't know what to do. She's out in the desert. She's at a spring, and she's praying. She's desperate. She knows she's in a broken situation and that she is broken, and everybody seems to be mad at her. And it was in that context we're told that the angel of the Lord came to her and loved her and ministered to her and gave her the strength and energy and courage to to go back. To understand. And here's what, here's what she said after that encounter. This is Genesis 16, 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. You see, God, God sees your sin. Man, God knows what you're like when you're not churchy. God knows what you're like when you're not trying to impress the people that are around you. God sees you, but he sees you in Christ. And that is the vast difference. He doesn't see us merely in our sins. He sees us covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What a relief that is. And to be the kind of church God wants us to be, we have to understand God sees us in Christ. He he sees us not merely as sinners. He sees us as those who have been changed, forgiven, uh, church words, redeemed, (laughs) restored, bought at a price with Christ's sacrifice at at Calvary. Man, it makes a big difference how we understand that we are seen by God makes a huge difference. Uh, Thursday, Atticus was with us a couple times last week, and, you know, uh, grandma and papa can be very boring, you know, we don't do a lot of fun things, so we got to thinking, Cindy, every year she gets a couple of tickets to the aquarium at Gatlinburg, and uh, haven't gone, and so we thought, well, we need to use those tickets, they're almost expired, I only have a couple of days anyway, so... We took off for Gatlinburg Thursday, and for some reason, I'm just dumb. Well, I guess I know the reason, I just am. I, I don't know why I didn't think there would be a lot of people there. <laughs> right? So we get there, and I'm like, oh, no. I mean, we're going in. Through, there's so many people going down through the middle of town that the GBS takes us off a side road. I mean, because there's so much traffic. So, so. so we come back in, and, tra- and then I start looking for a place to park. Every parking lot, full, 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 full. I'm tired of that word. And and so finally, I just told I said, there's no, I don't know what else to do. I said, you know, I guess we'll just go to Pigeon Forge, and there's this little tropical inside zoo that we've been to before. We'll just do that, plan B. So obviously, I'm not happy with the situation. I'm thinking, man, this bad plan. What have I done? Just a stinky day. So anyway, we get to this zoo, and, yeah, you know, it's pretty good. I had a pretty good time. And after the zoo, trying to find a place to eat. All these people. Oh. It, I like some people, just not too many, you know, when I'm trying to. Anyway, I'll be quiet. Okay, so next, uh, I think, well, where can we go? So we said, let's go to CeCe's Pizza. You know, it's a pizza buffet, you don't have to wait. So we go there, and we eat. And then afterward, Atticus wants to go to video games, a little arcade. And I feel so bad anyway because we made him his promise. So we go over there for a little bit. And all of a sudden, he says to Cindy and he says, It's been a really good day. Really good day. And I thought, Okay. I said, All right, Atticus, what was so good about today? What was the best thing that happened today? And he said, driving around. (laughs) What? That was the worst part of my day. You know, as, as I thought about this, guys, I thought, you know, sometimes we go through the days and we're... And God's just saying... I see you. I know where you are. Remember, I see you. I'm with you. It's a good day. And to walk in that fullness and in that understanding. Hey, I listened to this song this week. Uh, I'm not sure I can uh, pronounce this lady's first name. Anyway, last name's Layton, I think. Taisha. Taisha. T- t- I'm not good at some of these uh, pronunciations, but anyway, the song's called Look What You've Done. And it just about brought me to tears. I kept listening to it over and over again. Think about how God sees you. Listen to these words. She says, How could you fall so far? You should be ashamed of yourself. So I was ashamed of myself. The lies I believed, they got some roots that run deep. I let them take hold of my life. Let them take control of my life. Standing in your presence, Lord, I can feel you digging all the roots up. I feel you healing all my wounds up. All I can say is, Hallelujah. Look at what you've done. Look at what you've done in me. You spoke your truth into the lies I let my heart believe. Look at me now. Look how you made me new. The enemy did everything he could do. But oh, look what you've done. Suddenly all the shame is gone. I thought I was too broken. Now I see you are breaking new ground inside of me. Standing in your presence, Lord, I can feel you digging all my roots up. I feel you healing all my wounds up. And all I can say is hallelujah. Look how you made me new. The enemy did everything he could do. Oh, look what you've done. On the cross, in a grave, with a stone rolled away. All my debt, it was paid. Look at what you've done. In my heart, in my mind, in my soul, in my life, with my hands lifted high, I'm singing, Look what you've done. <laughs> so, so, so Paul, here, here, here's Paul. He, he's the man, he's the king of rule keepers. He, you know, he, God, look at me. You see me, don't you? Woo! I am Superman for you. But something happened. The guy who wanted to be big understood what he really looks like he said i'm little i'm not so big and as we look at our text he talks about in that next verse he said whatever was to my profit, the fact that i'm super religious i now consider loss for the sake of christ he says what's more i consider everything a loss all that great stuff that i think i've done uh, It's nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I've lost all things. He says, I consider them rubbish or garbage. (sighs) That's not where I put my trust. You see, instead of always thinking God must see me, he changed and said, God sees me. Paul realized he found me. He found righteousness in Christ. He, He began to understand my worth before God is not based on how good a rule keeper I am, but that I place my trust and faith in Him. You see, he was caught up in the performance trap. God see me. Look at what I'm doing. But suddenly, when he saw that God saw him and still loved him, it changed everything. You see, he started, before he was just looking around saying, I'm better than you, and I'm better than you, and I'm better than you, and so God must think I'm good. But then he looked up, and when he looked up, it allowed him to look in. And when he looked in, he said, I am little. And then it allowed him to properly look out, because God got a hold of him, and he discovered a righteousness that was far above what he possessed. In trying to just merely be good. Because it wasn't good enough. Listen to Isaiah 45, 22 in the New King James. It says, look to me and be saved. All you ends of the earth. So, so here's the deal. You know, we're looking at everybody else. And God says, look to me. And when you look to me, you're going to find what you really need. The depth of what your heart really aches for. And you see, the scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. That the God of this age, he blinds the minds of unbelievers. So they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. They just can't see apart from Christ. We have to look to the Lord to really see. And if you haven't looked to God, you don't really know Him. You're just caught up in this performance trap of saying, well... I'm better than that one and that one and that one. And so I think I'm good enough to get in. You see, a vibrant church that brings glory to God consists of a people who have seen their sin and looked to the Lord and found life. This is from Ephesians two. Verses listen to verses one and two here. It says we were all dead in our sins and transgressions in the way we used to live. Doesn't say we were sick. It doesn't say we were weak. It says we were dead. a matter of fact, verse 3, it even gets a little more depressing. It says that we were deserving of God's wrath. In many modern circles today, of religious areas, preachers are almost afraid to say, you know, you're really not so good. They're almost afraid to use words like sinner or Hell or condemnation. But you see, the cross was necessary for a reason. It's because we needed forgiveness. We needed that new start. And I love, listen to verses 4 and 5. He goes on, He says, Because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, I love that, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace. Paul says, you know, I wanted to be found in him to, to get a righteousness that, that's not based on the law, based on my performance, but that's based on Christ. I want to be found in him, having having that righteousness. So what I want to do now is think about the Apostle Paul, looking at his testimony. So turn me to Acts chapter 9. i will spend the rest of our time here um, looking at his testimony. You see, Paul, man, in Baptist circles, especially when I was growing up, Paul was like the superhero of Baptist life. I mean, this guy had it going. You know, he was used by God to pen much of what we read in the New Testament. He was a great missionary, went everywhere and did all this stuff, and seemed like he had to always have the joy of the Lord flowing out of him. You know, he he was just a super guy. He was the grand poo-bah of Baptist life. But you know what? Paul didn't start out as such a hero. He started out as a villain. Uh, look, this is Acts chapter nine. Now here's the scene: Stephen, a, a godly man. Lost his life. He was stoned to death because he preached Christ. And Saul was there. So we come to verse 9. It says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So here's where it started. He was not indifferent toward the church of Jesus Christ. He's breathing out murderous threats, death threats. I can find them. I want to take them out. I want to kill them. I want to destroy them. It says he went to the high priest, he asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. It says, the High Priest, give me any names you got of any of these people that follow Jesus Christ. I want to make sure they end up in prison. I want to destroy their lives. I want to take away any freedoms that they have. So here's a guy. And he didn't start out as the Baptist superhero. He started out as a definite enemy of the church of Jesus Christ. And if you think about it that way, not only is good not good enough, bad is not bad enough for God to come and to offer a new start and salvation, and love, and forgiveness. I don't care what a rascal that person is you're thinking of, or how bad you think about that person. No one is beyond the grace, mercy, and love of God. And and that includes this guy, Saul. I'm going to go back to chapter 8 for a minute, read a couple of verses here. This is after Stephen was stoned. It said, And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. To destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. He went to the houses of believers. He he broke up prayer meetings and he dragged them out. Man, what a guy. You think, God, why do you want to save him? Why do you want to reach him? So here's the danger. We don't want to fall into the trap of saying, well, there's the good guys who are in the church. They go to church. They serve in the church. They're kind. They're nice. They're sweet. And God loves them. And then there's those bad guys that God really wants to zap because they won't listen to Him. And we've got to, be, we've got to be careful that we do not view skeptics of God and His people as those who are merely deserving of being written off as enemies of God because God wants to write their names in the book of life. God does not want anyone to perish. But he wants all to know his offer of forgiveness and love. And, you know, here's Saul. He wants to be big. He has no idea what God is about to do. And we say, oh, those guys, they know what they're doing. But they don't know. They don't understand. There's a better way. They don't understand. There's a God who is in pursuit. There's a God who loves them. There is a God who wants to forgive them. There is a God who wants to make all things new. They're caught in their stinking thinking. And so was Saul. He was headed down the road to Damascus. He was mad. He was after the church of Jesus Christ. And while he was on the road, God met him. He's like the last guy God should have met, isn't he? He ends up being blinded. He ends up on his knees. And he met Christ and he he called out. God spoke to him and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He didn't really know. He was doing all this and he didn't really understand who Jesus is. He didn't really understand who the people of God are. And you know, we all start there. Before you can know God, you got to meet God. Before you can receive God's forgiveness, you got to understand you need to be forgiven. And all that is necessary, just as it was in his case. So Saul asks, Who are you, Lord? And he hears that gut wrenching punch I am Jesus. Who you are persecuting. Now, I want to take a minute and say something that is not directly mentioned in the text, but I think it's kind of obvious. I believe even though Saul was enemy number one in many's eyes, people were praying for him because people understood God is a God of miracles. And Jesus came to forgive and change lives. I always think of uh, that verse sometimes I w- it's one of those verses I'd like to get my racer out, you know That's uh, uh, Matthew 5:44. I believe that, that says, uh, "Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you." And that is hard to do. It's one thing to love somebody love me, but the guy that's always aggravating me. I I don't have to say it. You know what I mean. But somebody, somebody was out there. They were praying, God, change him. Change this man. I don't don't merely want him to continue to be what I see now. I want him to be who he really is, who who he is in you. Once he experiences the cross of Christ and the work that you do. Lord, that's, That's who I want him to be. There were people praying. You know, although most of us think that rascal deserves death, you know what? In one sense, they too were praying for death. They were praying death to the old Saul and praying for life in the new Paul. They were praying death to an enemy and birth to a new friend. Listen to 1 Peter 1, verse 3. I love this verse. Praise be to the God and Father. Of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. New birth into a living hope. That's what he did in Saul's life. Enemy to friend, death to new birth, living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead death to life and we go from death to life in Christ and then he he understood God sees me it changed everything he realized this is what I really look like i see myself now but praise be he sees me that's why jesus came because he sees me so what does paul want to gain once God works, wakens him. Friends, new friends. Uh, you know, I think about Ananias, remember Ananias that's it, uh, in this account. Man, what? Can you imagine? He's sitting there one day, you know, eating his Palestinian pizza, whatever, and uh, all of a sudden he Senses God speaking to him. Hey, Saul's over here, and I want you to go see him, Ananias. I think I might have indigestion. Did I really hear that? Speak, God, your servant is listening. I want you to go see Saul. I think I misheard this. I need to fast. I I, I need to seek counsel. But then he really listened. I have a feeling that that was the last person on the invitation list. <laughs> you know, it was Saul, and yet he went to the one who was the ultimate enemy. And he, he loved him and he spoke, and God opened his eyes, and Saul was changed. And you, you, you know what? As I thought about this, guys, I, I thought, this is our call too. You see, we've got to be careful that we don't say, well, the guys outside the church, so they don't care about God. They're not listening to God. Therefore, I'm not going to bother them and I don't want them to bother me. No! Our mission is to make friends, new friends. Jesus said, You are now my friends. You know, and, and that is the heart. That is the goal. That's what God did. He made a new, fr- you know, a new friend out of Saul who became Paul. And, and, and Paul went on these mission trips. Why? Because he knew God wanted to bring new friends, a new family into the kingdom. And, and aren't you grateful? Aren't you grateful that God sees you, but he sees you in Christ? Not merely in your sins. Aren't you g- grateful that he chose you to join him in his plan to salvage the broken by mending you and sending you out? I, I want to close. Uh, I said he was reading this book to Atticus this week. It's called The Scarlet Dragon. I like children's books anyway. They're on my level, you know. I can. Uh, anyway, this is... A, about a little knight to be, not quite a knight yet, little guy, named George, George, so you can relate this. So little George, his great-grandfather, was a mighty knight. He had conquered a dragon, and everybody heard about the greatness. I mean, his picture hung up in the palace, and when you looked at the throne of the king, there's his great-grandfather's picture, you know. So little George, he began to learn to fight. He says, I'm going to be the slayer of dragons, and I'm going to learn all the fancy moves of a knight so I can be ready to conquer and to kill the dragon. You know, that was his dream. And so everybody around the kingdom thought, whoa, you know, those dragons are dangerous. They have to be slayed. And so one day, there were people who saw flashes in the sky of what looked like a dragon. And they began to notice certain things missing. And so they became afraid. And everybody talked about it. Oh, there's a dragon. What are we going to do? There's a dragon. Somebody's got to fight the dragon. Well, you know, I know he's still a little guy. But he he is the great grandson of the mighty conqueror, you know. So they... Next thing you know, a message comes to young George. The king wants to see you, so he takes off. He goes to the palace, and he goes before the king. And the king explains, uh, we need you, George. We need you to fight the dragon. The dragon's out there. So he's gulp. Okay, my great-grandfather can do it. I, I can do it. So I'm going to pick up in the book from this point, just read a little bit can't really see the picture. I wish I could express this out. You got George, and he's yelling out of the palace here. Come out and fight, foul beast. Says George waited. He tried to prepare himself by practicing his sword fighting and fire-dodging moves. Then he wondered if the dragon was very big or very fiery. George nervously mumbled to himself, I am a brave hero. I am not afraid of. George tiptoed into the cave. Hiding in the shadows, snap, George stepped on a stick. The dragon jumped and quickly hid behind a boulder. This is it, thought George, gripping his sword. The dragon is cornered. This is my chance to become a hero. But then George noticed the dragon's tail peeking out from behind the boulder. It was trembling. "'Wait, is a dragon afraid of me?' asked George. The dragon whimpered. George sighed, "'You can come out. I won't hurt you.'" Slowly, the dragon poked his head out from behind the boulder. It watched George set down his sword. "'I'm sorry for scaring your village,' said the dragon." It's just that so much of the forest has been cut down that it's the only place to get food. Why don't you just ask for some food then, George inquired. Are you kidding? I'm the Scarlet Dragon. All people fear me, and all knights want to fight me so they can be called a hero. George blushed. Then he pulled a sandwich out of his sack and broke it in two. And George and Scarlet ate together. They tried to think of what to do. They talked about all the different ways the dragon could help the people of Whittemere. Then George had an idea. I've got it, George said at last. Come with me to Whittemere. No one will hurt you, I promise. And with that, Scarlet decided to trust her new friend, and she followed Sir George back to the village. When they arrived at George's home, he told Scarlet to hide behind the house. You can do this. Just tell yourself, I am a brave hero. <laughs> George gathered the villagers together. I've bought a powerful but kind friend to meet you. He said, she is here to help us, so from now on there's no reason to be afraid. Then he called to his friend. The crowd gasped as the scarlet dragon appeared before them. Meet the new defender of Widomir. From that day on, the scarlet dragon flew above Widomir, watching over the village, and every day she visited the watchtower where her friend George brought a dozen sandwiches to share. One morning, King Albert called the two of them to his castle. George, you may not have defeated the dragon, but what you did was even better. Sir George the gallant, I dub you hero of Wintimore. Then he asked Scarlet to bow her head, and, Dragon, it is my pleasure to dub you Dame Scarlet, brave defender of Wintemere. From that day on, the great hall... Beside George's great-grandfather hung a portrait of not one, but two heroes. Now, I love that story because I thought of of often how we feel in the church. We we think, there's this dragon out there called the unsaved. And I got to get out there, and I got to conquer that dragon. And you know, they might be scary. They might reject me. They may not like me. I don't really know what to say. I don't really know how to approach them or what I'm even supposed to do. But we know we have to go and we have to conquer. But what we don't realize is they're scared too. What we don't realize that the people out there that we're going to see are hurting too. And they need a friend. They don't realize it at the time because the enemy's blinded them. But they need Christ, who is the image of God. They need His glory. That's the light of the gospel. That's what they need. And, and we are called to get rid of enemies by making them friends. We are called to cut the sandwich in half and give half our peanut butter and jelly sandwich to them, and eat the other half, and do it together be together because when we when we eat together and we sup together it means we're together it's 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 part of sharing this life thing together and and you know as I thought about this as I thought about Saul who became Paul who thought he had to be something and then realized that no I'm little but that God sees me and he loves me and you see what happens is it may begin of course with seeing ourselves clearly and then Being so happy when we understand God really sees us, but that never leaves us there. It helps us to see beyond ourselves and to look out that other people need friends and to to go and, and to let God move. You see, as I pray about what's before us this year, I don't know everything that's before us, I know He sees us clearly. and We have to come to grips with that. But praise be to God, He sees us. He loves us, warts and all. He knows what we're like. And He calls us to leave the safety and security of what we know. And to go make some new friends with the gospel in Christ. And so I pray, not only for those of us who are here, but for those who are not here yet. Because I believe God wants to bring new faces into king's way. New friends as they begin to understand. It's not just that you understand now what you're like. It's that God sees you and wants you to understand His desire is to see you in His Son, in the forgiveness of Christ. Let's pray. God Father, as we look at this year, and, and Father, we've tried to come to grips with clearly seeing who we are, broken uh, sinners who need to take the mask off and come to you with honesty. And uh, Father, to be able to communicate with one another with honesty, with a mask off. And we can do that because we understand you see us in Christ and, and what that means. And, and Father, it's just too good to keep to ourselves. To to uh, hoard at Kingsway, we need to we need to go out and we we need to make new friends in Christ. We need to let the those who have issues understand. Yeah, God sees that. That's why Christ came, because He sees and He wants a friendship. He wants a relationship. He wants a new thing with you. And, and so, God, as I pray about all that, what do you want to do among us, Lord? Maybe there's someone here. A father who man, they, they're, they know there's something wrong, but they haven't understood or clearly seen that God can make it right, that, that, that the story of the good news of Jesus Christ is, is life itself. And, and Father, I pray if there is anyone listening uh, th- through um, the, the service online or here in person who for whatever reason, has not said oh god sees me and i want to respond to that then what a time do that now god I, i'm a sinner forgive me give me a new life and you start and father i, I just want to be a part of your work and i, and I want to be a part of a place where i feel welcome and, and a place that loves me and a place that knows others need that love and, and god i pray that kingsway be that place i pray i pray pray you do that in me and you do that in my brothers and sisters and in those who will be my brothers and sisters. And Father, as we think about an altar that's open, as we think about decisions that need to be made in our own lives, Father, may we just say yes. So, Lord, as we have this time of response, my heart prayer is that we would respond in Christ's name.